Who do you trust? Can you trust anyone? I mean, how do you know that people are who they say they are? How do you know that people mean what they say they mean? That they feel what they say they feel? How do you know that a person is being true to themselves and true to you and not a fake, someone who is actually genuine and sincere and authentic? I'm sure you've been lied to. I'm sure you've been betrayed. I'm sure you've been let down. It is a human reality, isn't it? That it's just hard to trust people, isn't it? People change. Um, People don't like to aggravate others, and so they don't speak the truth. Uh, People react to what is socially acceptable around them, and so they can be so changeable. And we can say all that without mentioning the fact that people can have agendas, of course, can't they? Um, Power play, seeking to use people rather than love them. And that people can manipulate. Can you trust anyone? It's hard, isn't it? And, and, and when we think about it, we think, well, even if I thought I could see someone you know, coming at me genuinely, who says I'd be able to see the truth really anyway? Who says I can judge who is trustworthy? Can you trust anyone? Politicians? Bankers? Estate agents? Friends? Strangers? Colleagues? Online dates? Online people. Is there anyone you can trust? How can you get that confidence in those relationships? You can actually build a, build a life out of them. Is it possible? Well, this morning we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, all the way through to chapter 2, verse 17. And in this passage, we are going to see that we can trust God's apostles. We can trust the Apostle Paul here uniquely in a way it's not really possible to trust anyone else, really. He is genuine. He is sincere. He is faithful. And when he speaks to us in these words here, we can actually trust him. The truth is, um, I think today, that not everyone trusts Paul. I wonder if you've heard someone say this. Oh, I like Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, I like him, good news to the poor and all that, but Paul, I don't like him quite so much. He seems to be singing from another hymn book, a bit down on women, homophobic, um, and all that stuff about the cross. He's always going on about the cross. No, thank you. No, it doesn't seem to be for me. I don't think he's the real deal. Not an apostle of God, no. You heard that? People say that sort of thing, don't you? Don't they? And the Corinthians here in in 2 Corinthians were tempted to feel the same. They were frustrated. In the last little while, we don't know how long ago, some people walked into town wearing snazzy sharp suits, you can imagine, um, with snazzy rhetoric, powerful performances, saying that the Christian life should be full of ease and success. And in comparison to that, Paul looks pretty weak. He doesn't look really like he's got the power of God in him, really. And so the Corinthians attempted to doubt Paul. Um, What's more, he appears to have let the church down. He meant to come and see them, but instead he wrote them a letter. You ever disappointed when you get an email and not a visit? (laughs) That was how the Corinthians felt. Um, And it was a harsh letter as well. It was dealing with an issue. And so they're at this point where they're like, oh, do I trust that Paul is an apostle of God's? And I guess if we've had some dealings with Paul, maybe we're tempted to think the same thing. But here's the thing this morning. Whether you think Paul is an authentic 
apostle of God, an authentic one of God's messengers, will display whether you are an authentic disciple of Jesus. I'll put that another way. If you've trusted God's messenger, it will show that you really have trusted the message. Do you think Paul is authentic? If you do, it'll show you've authentically understood the Christian message. You really are a Christian. Paul embodies the Christian message. Disregard him and you'll disregard the message. You'll disregard Christ. So is Paul the real deal? Can he be trusted? Well, what's his pitch to us? Look with me at chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul writes this, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, authenticity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we're not trying to write to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you'll fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. That's a bit wordy. (laughs) But what is Paul saying here? Well, here's my confidence, here's my boast, that I've been simple. I've been sincere. I've been genuine. I've been authentic. And here's my hope for you, that you'll get that. And that on the coming day of the Lord, we will be boasting each other. And you think, what? But what Paul means is this. On the day of the Lord, what are we going to declare? We're going to praise God and say, wow, wasn't it amazing? Paul spoke and we became Christians. And so the Corinthians are going to be thrilled in that. And what's Paul going to say on the day of the Lord? He's going to say, look, people became Christians when I spoke. God, you really did work in my weakness. Wow, praise you, God. Paul says, that's all we're about, a ministry in weakness that praises God. And I long that you'd believe that too. Believe it. Believe God's really been at work. But for those of us who who still nonetheless struggle to believe that Paul is sincere, well, this morning he gives us three reasons, okay? Three reasons to believe that Paul is an apostle of God, a messenger of God, a real representative. And the first one uh, is this. Paul is sincere because God is faithful. Paul is sincere because God is faithful. I'll point you to that in just a moment. But... um, doesn't sound right does it paul is faithful because god is faithful right if god is faithful what does that have to do with paul being faithful he's a different person (laughs) how do those things how do those things connect well paul says look i i I know i've i've let you down i haven't seemed faithful i know i changed my travel plans was i messing about he asked the question in verse 17 doesn't he was i vacillated when i when i wanted to do this when i made promises and i changed my plans and well, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? And look at verse 18, Paul says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Do you see what Paul is saying there? Do you notice it in verse 18? Because God is faithful, I am faithful. Because God can be trusted, I can be trusted. Now, is it me or does that sound a bit arrogant? (laughs) Does that sound like, whoa, how do you get away with saying that? Well, he, he, he explains how he can say that. Look at verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul says, here's why God's faithfulness shows my faithfulness. Think of Jesus. Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, the one the whole story of the world has been about. Jesus, the one whom all the promises of God have been about. The person I preach to you. He wasn't a yes and no to you. He was a yes to all of God's promises. So how can I be yes and no? I can't be. That's the Jesus I proclaim to you. He says, look, you, you ask of Jesus his promises. You promised I can be forgiven. Can I? You say of Jesus, can I, can I really know peace with God? You say of Jesus, will I ever be separated from you? Will I have a hope for the future? You promised it me. Can I know my sins taken away? And Paul says, it's like Jesus' answer to that is yes. Jesus' answer is that to yes. But then we look at Jesus, don't we? And we see him die on a cruel cross and we think, oh, that looks like a no, doesn't it? Hope for the future and then Jesus dies. It looks like no to God's promises. No forgiveness, no peace, no nothing. But Paul says, look, remember, Jesus isn't yes and then cross no. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. The cross isn't a no to your forgiveness. The cross is God's yes to you being forgiven. Where Jesus dies for our sins and makes it so that we can be forgiven. You see, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes. Can I have God's spirit in me? And then Jesus dies. Oh, no. But yes, he rises to new life and he gives us his spirit. It's a yes, isn't it? All of God's promises are yes in Jesus, even if it looks like a no. And Paul says, look, that's the message I've been preaching to you. That's the message that gets my amen. That's the message I live out. And so, you know, sometimes you look at Jesus and think the cross means a no. And Paul says, well, even though sometimes it feels like that with me, you think I'm saying no to you. Well, you know, you think, does Paul believe in me? Does he, does he, is he working for our good? And you think, is it a yes or no? But Paul says, look, the, the same God who turned the cross from being looking like a no to a yes will turn even my failures from what looks like a no to a yes. It's God's faithfulness that matters. You see it in verse 21, don't you? And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You see, because God is faithful, Paul can be trusted as faithful. God is going to do his work, even in Paul's weakness. Are Paul's plans hypocritical? Is he cruel, uncaring? No, his promises are made in good faith. And, and even if he can't follow through in them, on them, even if they're a no, well, the same God who turned that no of the cross into a yes will do it in Paul's life. I said yes to this. Will you say yes to this too? Would you agree that the cross is the fulfillment of God's promises, that it is a yes? Would you stand with me, says Paul, even if I seem unfaithful? Because the God who stands behind me is the God of all faithfulness. Paul says, look, I'm authentic because God is faithful. So let me ask you this morning, do you believe that? Is that credible to you? And remember that it's not just Paul's authenticity that's on the line here. It's actually our authenticity on the line too. Do you believe he's a messenger of God? What you make of this apostle will show what you're like.
is the God of faithfulness in the cross your God? Now for a moment, I'd just like to speak to you if you're here this morning looking in and you're not a Christian. Do you see Paul here saying, examine my life? Do you see him saying, examine my ministry and see what stands behind it? Well, look, all of us have got things we believe, haven't we? Uh, And we've got ideas that that come to us, and they come to us through our culture and our history and all the rest of it, you know. Um, To give you one example, you know, Marxism, for example. You know, there's such a man as Karl Marx behind that, and Stalin and Lenin, what have you, right? And each of us need to examine the roots of our beliefs, don't we? Can they be trusted? Do the people whose ideas I live out, were they... Do do I want to be associated with them? Am I living consistently with what I've been handed down in the 21st century? You know, we say we're for democracy and science and tolerance. Well, where did these ideas come from? What are they all about? Am I living in line with them? Take science, for example. Did you know that one of the oldest scientific institutions in the world, the Royal Society, wasn't founded for secular humanism? It was founded by Christians. Robert Boyle, who founded Boyle's law of gases, was an ardent defender of the Christian faith. And he was involved in founding the Royal Society because he believed that there was a God of order that meant you could test things and examine them. That you could understand the world because there was a God who made the world. Let me say, are you living in line with that? Are you living in line with the things that you've received? What are the roots of your beliefs? What are the people like who stand behind them? At the root of Christianity is Paul. And he says, trust me, because the message I bring is a God of faithfulness who will answer all his promises with a yes. He will never let you down. He will never break any of his promises. He'll never break your trust. And even when it looks like a no, God's promises of forgiveness and peace and a future are all yes in Christ. And Paul says, somehow God's going to make it the same even, even with my weak ministry. What do you make of it? So Paul is sincere because God is faithful. The God he's proclaiming is faithful. Point number two, Paul says, look, I am sincere. I am authentic. God is my witness. You can see it there in verse 23. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. Now, look what Paul's doing here at this point. Um, He's not swearing, is he? He's not saying, I swear on the name of the Lord. I really am genuine and secure. uh, And and you can trust me. Um, He's not actually doing that here, is he? He's calling God to witness to his heart. And look at how he shows his heart at at the beginning of chapter 2. He talks about um, chapter 2, verse 1. I made up my mind not to come to you. And that would, have been, that would have felt really difficult, but look at all, all the emotive language. But, but I couldn't have done that. I need you to make me glad. And, and I did so, verse 3, I didn't want you to suffer pain. Who could cause me to rejoice? You're my joy. I want my joy and your joy to be together, be the joy of all. I wrote out of anguish, verse 4, affliction, with many tears. Not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. What a rich emotional passage there. And Paul says, I'm calling God to witness to my emotions here, that I really do love you. Imagine someone reading those words and saying, 
how I feel about you is so true, even God would testify to it. He would witness to it. Here is rich love witnessed by God. And Paul here tries to explain his actions in his heart. And it's like he says, um, well, how about we take it for a road test? And you know uh, the program Top Gear, when they have this guy called Stig, and if you want to test a car, you put him in it, and he just blasts this car around the track. Well, Paul is saying, if you want to test out my heart, ask God to review it. God is my witness. The creator of the universe, I call to witness against me on how my heart has been towards you. I don't know how you'd prove your faithfulness today to someone who maybe felt that you'd let them down. Maybe you'd hand your phone over to them and say, oh, check my messages. I haven't betrayed you, really. Perhaps you'd give them your computer, check my emails and my history. I I haven't messed you around, honest. Or maybe you'd say, check my phone and um, follow the GPS, track my where I've been. Well, Paul says, you know, you can do all those things. But here's the creator God, and I'm saying, look at my heart. See, Paul is sincere, and God witnesses to it. He, He declares that God would witness against him. I don't know about you, but I see the love here of this apostle for this church. And it makes me think, if I want to found my life on anything, on the teaching of anyone, well, I want it to be someone who feels like this. The Christian faith is founded on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and on the teaching of his apostles. Now tell me, how do you feel about the man at the beginning of chapter 2? Would you let a person like that inform the grounds of your life? Filled with love. He goes on with them to clarify this issue of the pain that's been caused. He wrote to them a letter and it was painful. It seems that the background in Corinth is that there has been someone in the church who's been preaching a message and having influence and causing a stir. And Paul had to write to them to sort it out. And he changed his travel arrangements. He was going to see them and he didn't. And he had to say, look, this is harmful. You've got to deal with it before I can come to you. And and verse 5, Paul says, look, the pain that's here, it's not me. It's this other person who's who's had to be disciplined. That's, that's, That's been the issue here. You see, the church were too lenient with this guy who was a false teacher. But again, look, notice what God is witnessing to in Paul's emotions and his heart. He, Paul says, look, you've been, you were lenient with this guy. Now you've disciplined with him. Now don't be too harsh with him. Now don't be too harsh with him. Is it verse 8? So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul says, I acted harshly with you, but because I loved you, because this problem needed to be sorted out, because here was a guy who was just furthering the plans of Satan, and it needed to be stopped. You see, he he is authentic, isn't he? He really is. You see, false teachers and manipulators, they don't speak like this, do they? Right? False teachers don't speak hard truths, do they? They don't do the things that are hard and painful. They try and reel you in with succulent and soothing truths. Uh, um, Well, lies. (laughs) Uh, they, They appeal to you, don't they? They try and please people and they manipulate you. To their own ends. Was the Apostle Paul like that? 
God is Paul's witness. No, I wasn't. What looked like pain that might have been caused by him was actually him acting out of love to sort out something that was a problem. It was real love. It's said in today's culture that we behave like everything is permitted and nothing can be forgiven. That everything is permitted and nothing is forgiven. Well, Paul was prepared prepared to say here, look, this guy, what he's doing and saying is not good. It's not permitted. It needs to be dealt with. Sort it out, guys. But just because it wasn't permitted didn't mean it couldn't be disciplined and forgiven. Just see his heart of love here. It's real love. It's not let's play pretend. It's not manipulation. There is no manipulation at the heart of the Christian faith. Do you see the love here? Do you buy it? Do you believe it? Do you believe this Paul who misinterpreted though he may have been tough and harsh as he may have appeared was full of kindness and love? Do you believe in this man? Do you believe in the God who stands behind him who means for wrong to be called out? Do you believe in a God who calls us to repentance? Do you believe in a God who would call us to repentance that we might be forgiven? That's what Paul is all about. Do you believe it? Will you accept it? Now, I think it's worth at this point talking about how we respond to correction, actually, isn't it? Uh, Imagine that after this service, I was outside and someone grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, Ollie, you're out of line on that. Here's how I reckon I'd respond. See if this fits with you. I can't believe they said that. How dare they challenge me on that? I thought they loved me. I thought they were Christians. Well, ha! I was wrong about that, wasn't I? Oh! I think that's what I'm like. But here do you see Paul living with God as his witness. Paul is living for God. He's living out of love. And so he can't say nothing. He must offer correction. True love risks offence. True love would warn. And an authentic Christian will warn their brothers and sisters. They will challenge them. And far from that showing that we don't love one another, it actually shows that we do. You see, the manipulator won't challenge you. They'll woo you with falsehood. But truth calls us to repentance and faith in Christ. Don't reject people who challenge you. Bear with them. See that a challenge, far from discrediting them, might actually prove their love for you. And so listen to them. Consider their sincerity and their honesty, just as Paul would have us consider his here. He is a genuine apostle. Do you see it? Well, last reason. Last thing in Paul's pitch to us. Paul is sincere. He's not a fake. God is faithful. God is his witness. Third thing, God is leading. God is leading. Verse 12 of chapter 2. It seems here like most of Paul's decisions are merely human decisions. But Paul says, actually, the Lord has been in it all. He tells a little bit more about what's happened. Uh, Look with me at verse 12. Uh, um, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now you think, oh, that's an odd disclosure. What's that all about? Well, look what he's telling them. he's, He's telling them, I didn't come to see you before. I wanted to spare you a painful visit. I had to write a letter instead. 
But later on, actually, I could have come to see you. Do you see that in verse 12? A door was opened for me. I could have come to you. But Paul says, again, I didn't come to you. My heart was not at rest. Here's a guy anxious, burdened. He had to go and see Titus. He couldn't go to them. Do you hear the weakness here? He could have gone, but he didn't. He was a wreck. Here's Paul, and he's saying, actually, I'm not much of a hero. The door was open. I couldn't even come. Actually, in many ways, I am a letdown. I am a disappointing apostle. The door was open. Did I walk through it? I didn't. I'm weak. But does that mean I'm not a genuine apostle? Does that mean I'm not a real apostle? Well, no far from it. Thanks be to God, he says. Look at verse 14. He's overflowing now at this point with thanks. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul says, look, I've done stuff and maybe it's looked like a letdown. But actually, Christ has always been leading me. Christ has been at work. The image in this last section is of a victory parade, a triumphal procession. So imagine Roman occupation, okay? And you've got a battle's happened, and um, the Roman victors are processing back through the town. Maybe in my head there's confetti. I don't know whether there would have been confetti and flowers and cheering. And um, the Roman conquerors are processing through town with their slaves ahead of them, probably, who are the high-profile ones, the captures, probably going to be executed at the end of the parade. And there's incense everywhere. It smells. You can smell the victory. And Paul says, look, you, you might have thought I'm disingenuous, but actually Christ has been leading me. I've been led but in his victory parade. And you might have thought that I looked like one of those slaves. I looked weak. I looked like someone who's captured. I looked some, like someone on their way to execution. And you thought, I'm not going to trust him. But actually, I'm being led with Christ, not so much as that slave, but as the aroma. In the image, he's not the slave, he's the, the wafting incense. Look at verse 15. For we are the aroma of, of Christ to God among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Paul says, I am led by Christ. I am Christ's communication. So think of that victory parade and imagine you're four rows back, okay? There's a street lined with people and you're four rows back. You won't see the victor, will you? You won't see much of the parade. But you will be able to smell it. You'd be able to smell the incense, wouldn't you? And Paul says, it's a bit like that with me. I'm being led by Christ on that victory parade and you won't see Christ, but you'll smell him because you'll see me. You'll hear my ministry. You'll hear of Christ through me. I'm the communication of Christ to you. And for some of you, you'll look at me and think, I just look like death. I look like the slave. And if that's you, if you think that I'm death, well, that will be, de that will be death to you. But if you see in my weakness, not the slave in the procession, but the aroma if you see in me weakness, but see in me to life, the resurrection, life and power of God, then that will be life to you. See, what we make of Paul makes a difference, doesn't it? Some will look at Paul and will get death. Others will look at him 
and get life. Paul is saying here, look, I've been simple and straightforward. I've just been trying to show you Christ. And I've been led by him. I've been ministering out of weakness of a saviour who conquers death and brings resurrection life. He concludes verse 17. We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The Christian message, he says, you know, there are those that would peddle it. Christian message can't be peddled. It can't be sold. It has to be proclaimed and it has to be seen in weak people saved by the God of grace. God is leading Paul. Jesus is triumphant. Paul is just the fragrance. He's the connecting point with the king. And he does look like death. But really, he's the smell of life. So let me ask you again. What will it be for you? What do you make of him? Is he the aroma of life to you? You see, here's the thought here, isn't it? Paul's life and ministry does something. As we're here, as we're listening to this word, what will we make of Paul? Do we think he's death? Do we think he's so weak and, and like a slave that we want to reject him? Well, if that's us, it, Paul says here, that's a path that leads to death. Reject me and you'll reject the message. Reject me and you'll reject Christ. But Paul says, if you look at me and you see the weakness, oh yeah, but you see the resurrection power of Christ, that will be life to you. Something is happening this morning, friends. You are on a path, one way or the other. Which will it be? And for those of us who are willing to lay down our feet, get in line with the apostle, for those of us who are trusting Christ this morning, it's worth reflecting, I think, at this moment, isn't it? That the way we live our lives, the things that we do, the way we behave, it, it causes a variety of responses too, doesn't it? Uh, we, we have an effect, much like that incense spreading around, causing reactions, causing responses. People will be responding to us. Will they get from us life in weakness? Or will they get death? Are they going to see at least the very fragrance of Christ? Are they going to see what he's like? Are they going to see weakness but smell life in Christ? Are we Christians who are acting with integrity, simplicity, like Paul? Are we those who show our motives on our sleeves? Are we those who show our vulnerability? Do we apologise to people when we get stuff wrong? Do we confess Christ as our only hope? Are we the kind of people who'd, who'd say to a friend when we've messed stuff up, we, we, we might say to a friend, oh, you know that, that conversation earlier, I messed it up. You know, I need to tell you, I got that conversation wrong. I actually withheld stuff from you. I'm sorry for that. Because actually this morning, I should have told you about Jesus. But you know, I didn't want to because I was afraid. Can I just tell you what, what I messed up this morning? See, are we people who are simple and straightforward? Speaking clearly of Christ. Showing him to people, not just in what we say, but in how we live. Paul is authentic, led by Christ. He's the aroma of Christ. Perhaps we might be too. So here we've seen this morning three reasons why we should engage with the Apostle Paul. Three reasons why we should see him as sincere. Firstly, God is faithful. The God that Paul proclaims says yes to his promises. 
He makes Paul faithful. Secondly, Paul calls God to witness his heart, and he's full of love. And thirdly, Paul looks weak, but nonetheless, God is leading him. He is the aroma of Christ in that procession. So let me say, if Paul passes your sniff test this morning, then it turns out wonderfully that you have passed a test here too. See, in a world where authenticity is hard to come by, we see this this morning, that if we accept Paul, weak, frail Paul, as authentically Christ's apostle, we'll find out that we are authentically Christ's. We'll have accepted the message of Christ that Paul embodied. We are united to it. If we, if we believe in this ministry, if we are willing to ground our life in this, then it turns out that you, friend, this morning really are united to the one who endured a cross for your sin. You really are united to the one who is risen and is seated on the throne of heaven for your justification and for your resurrection life. Authenticity is so hard to come by. Search the people you know. Search your beliefs, the thing you thought you believed. Did you get them from someone authentic? Hard to come by, isn't it? But here is a man who testifies to authenticity and it's all grounded in God. It's full of weakness, yes, but it's full of sincerity. It's full of love and it's full of faithfulness. And so I think this morning, this is a ministry for us to copy, isn't it? This is a ministry to yearn to follow. A ministry that says, I'm weak and so what? I don't want to get in the way of people seeing Christ. Might the Lord Jesus authentically be on display in us, even when we're weak. In fact, especially when we're weak. Shall we pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, we've been caused this morning to assess what we believe. We've been called this morning to see how we deal with correction. Of how we, what we, how we founded our life, of what we're proud of, of what we're resting in. And Father, we just want to rest in, in the ministry we've received, a ministry of weakness that testifies to, to Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God crucified for our sin and raised for our life and salvation. So, Father, we ask that we might take this scripture away, that we might think on it deeply, that we might be changed to be authentic ministers of the gospel, just as Paul has been and as he has handed his gospel to us, we pray in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close with a song, uh, a song that is called Oh Great God of Highest Heaven. It's, uh, I think, well known to us here at Grace Church. It's a great song of response. Um, make it your prayer. Think on every line. Um, let's stand and sing together.
But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Father, we just long that that fragrance of Christ would spread everywhere. Father, we long to be people of sincerity and authenticity. And Father, we pray for us today, for those of us perhaps who are listening to this and aren't sure whether Paul is authentic. Father, calls those of us to go and examine our lives, examine what we really have trusted. And Father, for those of us who are saying, I see Christ here, I see an authentic ministry here. Well, might it fill fill us with confidence? And might we say our amen to this great ministry and get behind it with all sincerity and genuineness and authenticity, we pray in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. Amen.